Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, MJ, and I'm going to tell you about my number one secret when I shop for wine. The best strategy is to look at the back label and look for a trusted importer. And one of the most trusted names in wine for the past 30-plus years is Skernick Wines and Spirits. Since 1987, the Skernick brothers, Michael and Harmon, have scoured the earth looking to find super high-quality wines of distinction and then bring them back into the United States so that they can be available to you at your local store or restaurant. The company is headquartered right here in New York City, but they are also a direct wholesale distributor in eight states, including New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and last but definitely not least, my beloved wine home of California. They also import many wines that are sold in all 50 states through their partner distributors. I recently interviewed Harmon Skernick right here on the Black Wine Guy podcast, and let me tell you, these guys are the real deal. If you want to learn more about Skernick Wines and Spirits, please have a look at their awesome website. It's www.skernick.com. That's www.skurnik.com. Or you can even give them a call at 212 212- 273-W-I-N-E. That's 212-273-WINE. Hey, I'm MJ Taylor, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is wine expert, sommelier, and founder of Thatcher's Wine Consulting, Thatcher Baker Briggs. Thatcher has made a career of stepping outside his comfort zone, always pushing himself to learn and master something new. His professional trajectory boasts key positions in kitchens and dining rooms of some of the most influential restaurants in the world, including then-three-starred Saison under Chef Joshua Skanes. He also worked at the highly regarded Takozawa in Tokyo and at the two-Michelin-starred Kwa in San Francisco. It was in these distinguished training grounds that he gained the knowledge, tools, and the reach to curate highly specialized wine services for collectors around the globe. In April of 2019, he launched Thacker's Wine Consulting. It's an advisory and seller management service for wine collectors and enthusiasts. In addition to sourcing rare wines, he takes great care in helping clients fill, refine, and organize their wine cellars. With his consulting business based in the United States, Switzerland, and Asia, Pretty much makes him a baller. Thatcher's clients are leaders in a wide range of industries, including technology, publishing, finance, politics, and sports. Welcome, Thatcher. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, man. I think you got everything. Thank you uh, for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, we're super excited you're here, man. Uh, I think I, I think you're on your way to Paris, and uh, yep. you, you, you stopped down just to fucking share some wine with me. So tell everybody, so, what wine are we sharing right now? Um, so one of my favorites, I've been a German Riesling fanatic for my entire career. Uh, so this is Keller uh, 2016 Absurder. Uh, for me, it's it's 
my favorite wine that he makes. Um, this tiny little plot, super old vines. But I just love the minerality of the wine. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people might say, like, G-Max is the wine. Like yeah. it's, you know, but for me, Apps just hits in such a particular way. I just love that acidity all the way through. It's awesome. What does that name mean in German, Absurker? That's a good question. Because in my mind, I'm like, is it mean it's absurd? Like it's like the nuts. Like it's like. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, absurka. It's absurd. I it's I, w- <laughs> I know what it means, but I I can't think of what it. <sighs> That's okay. Yeah, so, it will come to me in me. the middle. It'll of, come to you and you can shout it, it out. Yeah, and you're like, I know. And if not, I guarantee when I post this episode, somebody's gonna be like, I know what that one is. So, of course, you yeah, know, yeah, so. it will come to me. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Totally. Um, so. <laughs> Um, super excited, man. Yeah, this is my second Keller. Um, and you're right. I did the minerality's on it. It's good. And just apricots and just – so um, – and I'm a little amped up for this one. I'm excited. Um, so listen, let's start at the beginning. So you are Canadian. I am. And I read in your bio that you grew up in Windsor. Yeah, I So did. where's Windsor located for people Right like across me? from Detroit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right across from Detroit. So it's weird because it's like um, – it. so Windsor's super south. It cuts into – into Michigan, so it's like more south than Seattle. Like it's it's on it's almost uh, like almost Portland, if you will. Like okay. pretty south. Okay, so okay, yeah. And it's and so it's not like what people think of Canada as like fo- like snowy mountains. It's not like that. It's just like it's like Detroit. And so you just uh, <laughs> you look <laughs> for anybody that grew up in Detroit, they, they know what, exactly what I mean. It's like <laughs> across the river, one mile, and you can see it. Oh shit! And when it's I grew really up close. there, yeah, it's super close. When I grew up, like we used American currency, and you know the borders were open, and and so you just kind of go back and forth and and whatnot. So yeah, that's where I'm from. Okay. So what kind of exposure to food and wine did you have growing up in the greater Detroit area? <laughs> Uh, Coney dogs. Um, <laughs> you know, there wasn't, uh, you know, it, I didn't grow up in like a really food uh, family. Um, you know, I come from pretty humble beginnings, just me and my mom uh, and my grandparents really. And, uh, you know, my mom cooked, but like she didn't, she just cooked because she needed to, to cook, right? And um, I don't know what it was. I just kind of got interested. I, I Windsor is a super multicultural place. Okay. Um, like, my grade school, my high school, like we closed for Ramadan because no one would go to school. It was like 80% Muslim. Wow. There was a huge Vietnamese population, uh, big Korean population, big um, sort of like uh, East African, a lot of Ethiopian, Eritrean. And um, so there was all these foods and I just grew up eating them and it was kind of interesting. Um, And so I just got more and more into it. And I think probably around like seven, eight, like I was really interested in food and like always watching the food network and then by maybe 10 11 like i was like obsessed to the point where i would like try to convince my grandparents to drive four hours to toronto because like i was like i've heard of this fruit like <laughs> can you drive me eight hours to go see if they have like a mangosteen and they're like i don't even know what that is you know and uh and then i was just hooked and that was it and so we would like would be really nice and the only grandson at the time try to convince them and they would drive up and we'd like go buy spices and like it was so weird but I just I got hooked and once I did that was it I just knew that that's what I wanted to do yeah that's what I read in your bio that you knew that like by age 10 you want to work in restaurants like like how did you know that at such a young age I you know the only other thing that like I kind of dabbled with was being an architect I kind of thought that that was exciting and I spent a I spent a lot of time with my grandmother and she was really into like, you know, interior design mm-hmm. and things like that. And, you know, I thought architecture was kind of, um, was kind of interesting. And, but that was it. That was the only other thing that I have, I've ever played around with. And it lasted like three months. 
<laughs> it's also when you're 10, you're like, why would I want like, – like an architect doesn't sound exciting. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I want to be an architect and, and – but then I the math, the idea of all that math. But then like – it's, yeah, architect is really fucking cool, though. It is. It's, a, it's an amazing. I, I, I mean, it's like, an amazing career. Like, like, like now that I'm all, I'm like, shit. You know, like architects always have like cool glasses. They have like they have, like yeah. the coolest oh, shit, always, the coolest always. fucking watch. Yeah, yeah. they just yeah. find like all yeah. you know, like like yeah, dope the, shoes. Yeah, dope yeah. shoes. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. like like every yeah. architect for them yeah. high. Like like he one friend I had, he had a firm when I lived in Santa Barbara. He had like. Some crazy tricycle for his kid from Sweden. Like they yeah, find all right. the You're, best yeah, design yeah, ex- shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? But um, that being said, um, you know, you you wanted you were at that, but like, I'm just I gotta go back to like you're like we drive four hours to get a mango <laughs> yeah, steam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, honestly, true. Like true story. Probably, I don't know, thirty times. I, like we would do that. We sometimes we would take a weekend trip. We have like um. A little bit of family just north of Toronto. And so sometimes we might stay the night with them or something. Okay. But literally would just go to Chinatown, walk around, find like different sauces. And, you know, at that time, like things, think, you know, it was 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. like things like oyster sauce mm-hmm. and fish sauce were like super out there. And um, and yeah, we just buy different different brands and then just come home and like cook with them. And I had like a spice collection. It was all like alphabetical. <laughs> yeah, like, spice I, like, I probably had like two hundred different spices and herbs. It was wild, wild. <laughs> okay, so besides spices, uh, what else were you into when you were in music, sports? Bugs? Yeah, I mean, I was I was really big into track. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, I I wish I I don't. I mean, it would have been nice to stick with it more, um, but. I was so focused and I'm just the type, kind of person that like when I get into something, I'm into it. Um, I got really big into scuba diving. Um, that was really fun. Um, cycling, um, you know, I got passionate about. But I dropped everything when I started working in restaurants. And I was just like, this is what I want to do. And like I'm going to just read and watch the Food Network or t- cook, <laughs> you know, yeah, and that, yeah. that's all I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean I grew up doing – do, and you know, doing a lot of sports, played football, played basketball all the time with friends. Uh, and you guys want to come over and check out my spice collection? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, the, the, that was a good game, guys. You want to come see I, my tumor? Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, I was a weird kid. Um, so you said you knew right away. Um, what was your first kitchen job? Was, uh, 13? Uh, you were yeah. washing dishes? Yeah. So my mom got me these cooking lessons uh, at the at the kind of fine dining restaurant in, in Windsor. And um, – it was like every Wednesday and you'd go to the restaurant and the chef would like show you how to cook three dishes, an appetizer, an entree, dessert. And then like he'd pair some wine with it. And I was definitely the youngest person by like 50 years for <laughs> sure, like easily. Like everyone was like 60, 70 retired. And then I would just like sit I, – I can't remember his name. And I'd sit with this guy who's like 75 and we would just like – he would drink and I would just sit there and like, it's <laughs> like talking to a 10 year old about cooking. It was like so weird, I'm sure. And, uh, but, but such a nice guy. And, um, you know, at the end of it, he, his name was Gino. He, he offered me a, a job and he's like, you know, I was like, cool. Yeah. I'm ready to cook. He's like, oh, okay. You're going to be a dishwasher. And I was like, all right, well, let me think about it. And I got home and my mom's like, you're taking the job. What are you talking about? Like you have to start at the beginning. I was like, Mom, I've been cooking for like three years. Mom, <laughs> I got more spices in my closet than they got in exactly, the whole restaurant. Exactly, exactly. So she's like, get your shit together. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I, uh, I took the position, started working uh, as a dishwasher like after school. And, um, and then like 
got to high school, figured out how to like get credits from from um, from cooking. Uh, it was like a, a weird like applied program that they that they did, and I just basically stopped going to school. And they're like, dude, you haven't been to school in like three months. My mom didn't know, you know, because <laughs> I was like working like 12 hours a day. And uh, and those Canadian child labor oh, right. laws, yeah. they're much more lax. Yeah. Yeah. Super lax for sure. <laughs> I don't think I was supposed to be there, but uh, the restaurant's closed. It's all good. Uh, so so yeah, and, and figured it out. And um, I just started working and moved my way up. And, you know, they taught me how to like do a lot of prep and then started working on the line and, you know, you work Garmanger and then you start working like the hotline and then you start cooking meat. And I worked there for four years. They opened a couple of the restaurants. I helped them open those restaurants. And by the time that I left, I was like running the kitchen basically, mm. uh, which was, which was, well, cr- I was like 16. It was wild. Um, but yeah, an amazing experience for sure. Well, so yeah, so 16, you're running this joint. Uh, by 18, you had moved to Vancouver and working at a uh, major restaurant. What was that restaurant in Vancouver? Uh, West. Okay. Yeah. So he. So <laughs> when I turned eighteen, I was like, I, you know, I could, so I had been working a little, so I saved up some money, and um, obviously still lived at home. So you know, I had a little bit of money, and I was like, okay. Told my mom like two days before. I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm going to Europe <laughs> for a month. She's like, what? <laughs> and so like on my 18th birthday, like I just flew to Europe and just kind of explored. Uh, Italy, France, uh, Switzerland, or, uh, yeah, Switzerland, uh, Sweden, an amazing trip, got back a month later or so. And, uh, I had heard of this chef in, in Vancouver. Uh, he was the, um, uh, executive chef for Marco Pure White. And so I, you know, Marco was, he's who taught Gordon Ramsay basically how to cook, right? So Gordon trained under him and I was like, wow, that's crazy. Like, I need to go work with this guy. So I just was like, Mom, I'm moving to Vancouver. She's like, oh, you got a job? I was like, no, I just – I need to go work at this restaurant. So I moved to Vancouver without a job, knocked – you know, basically, like, sent them a bunch of emails, called them. They're like, okay, fine. Like, come on in. Spend a day with us. And um, thankfully, because I lived in Vancouver at 18 alone, you know, sport wild. <laughs> Leased an apartment. I don't know. And um, and uh, he's like <laughs> – so I spent a day with them. It was amazing. You know, it, I would say what I was doing before, relatively speaking, was fine dining. Mm-hmm. But like this was at a whole new level. This was, you know, if this was in a in the U.S., it would be you know, probably a two Michelin star restaurant, okay. maybe, you know. And uh, so the level of precision was so high. Um, it was really amazing. And after the day, he sat down with me and he said, um, I don't know if you're like, I don't know if it's because you're a good cook or just I was a big fan of Margaret Thatcher, but so I'm going to hire you. But in like <laughs> straight up and I was like, I'm fine with either one. Like, chef, whatever you – that's cool. I like Maggie too, you know. Like, <laughs> and that was how, and that's how I got the job. I, Holy and, shit. Yeah, that was the start. That That is probably a first. <laughs> yeah. I mean – you got a job because he liked Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if my name was Joe, I probably wouldn't I have got the job. Yeah, I and I don't know what I'd be doing right now because <laughs> that was really the the trigger for everything. So I was like, "Hey, mom, thanks for the name." Um, how long did you work there? <clears throat> uh, just under a year. So he um, so he ended up leaving relatively quick, um, and he went back to the UK. And I I stuck around for a little while, and the chef that took over was great, but mm-hmm. I was like. Man, I moved all the way to Vancouver just to work with this one guy. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Is there somewhere that I want to work in Vancouver? And I had heard of another chef, David Lee, who is in Toronto. And so I called them up and he was like, oh, wow, Wes, like I know this place. 
cool, you've been working in restaurants for a while, like, you're hired, before he ever met me. So I, I just flew to Toronto and started work, like, right away, um, and uh, at, a, at a restaurant called Note de Penning. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How long did you last there? It's like a year and a half, I think. Okay. Yeah, it was a really, I mean, Note Bene was a, such an amazing restaurant. It was, uh, it was huge. It was definitely the biggest restaurant that I still have ever worked okay. in. Served like 200 for lunch and like 400 for dinner. But it was at such a high level. I was like, that's a lot of covers it's a for lot like of fine co- dining. And it is, I mean, the, covers, the check average was probably like, 90 bucks a person, 80 bucks a person. Like, it was, like, really high, maybe more than that. Yeah. It was really, like, the way that they were executing was pretty remarkable. And so I learned so much there. Um, it was a pretty eye-opening experience of, like, how you can work with a team of, like, 30 cooks at, you know, at one time. And then they turn over for dinner and another 30 people. I mean, the staff was huge. It was it was pretty amazing. The food was delicious, honestly. He's a great chef. And what were, and so what was your role there? Um, you were working on the line. What was – Yeah. So we, I started. I came in. Everyone goes through the Garmanger station. Um, really incredible. Worked with this, with, this, um, with this chef there, Anya, who worked for Robichon for a long time. Oh, wow. And like she she's German and was just like – man yeah yeah i was like you're definitely german for sure it was intense um and then and then after a little while like worked our way through and started working um vegetables and and worked fish and so um really amazing and honestly everybody that's left that place is like doing something really cool pretty much everyone has stayed in toronto Mm -hmm. but they're all running like the best restaurants in in toronto some went to like noma for a little while or central and then they all went back and they're all leading the best restaurants in Toronto. It's really, really cool. Everyone kind of went through there. Wow. So where'd you go next? So I, so yeah, I mean, I was having so much fun there, but again, I was always like, I want to do, I want to push myself. You push yourself. Yeah, I, yeah for a sure. Theme. Already, <laughs> yeah. we're only like 15 my, minutes my, in. Just... My whole life, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, so I was, after that time, I was having a great, I was having an amazing time. And uh, but I was like, what's next? What am I going to do? And I, Trump, Canada doesn't have Michelin stars. Why? Why is that? I mean, there's a lot of reasons, I'm sure, but like it's it costs money to have Michelin kind of come in, and I just don't think uh, there there's a big push for the, from the tourism side for it. Um, so yeah, they still don't have it, despite they should, because there's some amazing restaurants there now. Um, but so I wanted to work in Michelin restaurants. Okay, and. Um, so I looked all around the world of like, and kind of compiled a list of places that like I really was excited to work uh, or I wanted to work for. And I emailed probably five people or so. And uh, like on the first day of me kind of compiling this list, one of which was Daniel Patterson at Qua. And they emailed me back like in five minutes. They were really, really fast. Mm. And they were like, can you come for three days? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I took a vacation from the restaurant in Toronto from Nota Bene. Flew out to San Francisco and uh, had an incredible time. And I was like, we, I, you know, I felt like I was working at a really high level. I felt like at West I worked at a really high level. And like this was, you know, so it, it was the food is – his food, he's one of the best chefs in the world, I think. He's such, such an underrated chef. Mm-hmm. Um, the You know, like measuring sticks and like rulers for like for like, you know, this has to be like a quarter inch by a quarter inch mm-hmm. and like dicing things. And it was – 
polishing the stainless steel tops. It was just like such a high level. Everyone ironed their chef's jacket and aprons before service and they switched it out. Like it was it was like a it, it was just it was such an amazing experience. I was so excited. And, and luckily, they offered me a job after the three-day stage. And I said, absolutely. So I went back to Toronto and moved to San Francisco. And I'm lucky I have dual citizenship. Um, otherwise, I honestly don't think I, I, it just wouldn't be possible. It's, it's so hard to, as a Canadian, get a working visa in the U.S., for, especially in the like restaurant industry. It's, it's almost impossible. Um, not, not after COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like, come on, <laughs> come on, we, come on. We, yeah, everybody's hiring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no staff right now. Um, yeah. But that was, and so yeah, I took the job and was there, and it was amazing. So I've been listening to all these stories about all these kitchens you're working in, and I realized. So where'd you go? You go to the Culinary Institute, CIA, Culinary Institute of America, the Culinary Institute of Canada. Where, where'd you Where'd you get your degree in uh, chefery? <laughs> chefery. Uh, I didn't. I um. <laughs> I, I never went to school. I started I started cooking so young um, that I kind of just weighed my choices, right? I can, you know, in high school, I, I actually never finished high school. I dropped out of high school to, to cook. And um, I was like, well, I dropped out of high school, so I guess I'm not going to university. But, you know, a couple, <laughs> of, a couple of years prior, I was like, I could go to like the CIA and spend like a couple hundred thousand dollars, which I didn't have, which my mom didn't have. And then be in debt and then make $8 an hour like every cook does when they get out of culinary mm-hmm, school. Mm-hmm. And so – or I can just be like, well, I've already been working in restaurants, you know, for five years or six years or whatever and just stick it out and just try to put myself in the best places that I did. And and that's what I did. So, Well, you know, it's funny. Um, my guest last week, a guy named Mike Colomeco who's worked in Michelin Star, he – he would agree with what you said. You know, he went when he went to the CIA. It was it was affordable, and I think he had a scholarship. You know, yeah. something. But he's like, you know, like it's ridiculous right now. If you're a young person, you spend, you know, you're gonna spend hundred thousand dollars, and you're gonna make eight dollars an hour. Like, yeah, and you're yeah. never yeah. gonna make it out of that hole. No. Um, I really love how just you just like you do have focus. I mean, we're talking about. I mean, like holy shit, like you know, I mean. I was when you said you dropped out of high school. Uh, the, the big either considered a fool because I dropped out of high school. Well, <laughs> you were, yeah, yeah, uh, right. I, yeah, I don't worth, know if I'm on the notorious I, BIG level, but I, 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 well, I you, respect and, that. You you were on a notorious level or something here, bro. So you know, <laughs> kind of going on. Um, so, uh, qua, um, what, what, how'd that shape you professionally? Um, I became really like really uh like a lot of attention to detail um i really just the way that they did things you know you we slept we swept the floor every 15 minutes mm. like to a t you need to like plate things take the way that you taste daniel uh patterson was an was an amazing taster and when i said he's one of the best chefs i think like because he's such an incredible taster like he would literally taste the sauce every single time you went to plate something mm. and you're like I just used the same sauce 13 seconds ago. He's like, I need to taste it again. Oh, it needs one more grain of salt. And you're like, <laughs> trying to figure out how to put how, one, grain one grain of salt. And he's famous for that. Like two, two drops of champagne vinegar, two grains of salt. You're like, yes, chef. All right. And then you don't do anything and he tastes it. And it's great. But, um, <laughs> but I, you know, so I learned a lot there about, about precision and attention to detail. And then that's where I started to see like, you know, I started tasting some wine and I, I had no idea what it was. Um, 
you know, white burgundy or white Rioja, you know, the Somme. It's a small restaurant, so the small Maz would, like, pour, and I'd be like, oh, it's delicious. I have no idea what this is. And he's like, it's white burgundy. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're saying to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, I get the white part, but, like, yeah. that's it. And, um, yeah, and so I was just like, I feel really stupid to, like, work in a restaurant for 10 years and just have a completely closed mind <clears throat> about what's happening in the dining room, what's happening with wine. And for me, I think the reason that, Qua at that time didn't get three Michelin stars was because there was this massive disconnect between the front of the house and the back of the house. Okay. It was the pinnacle example of like, you know, that normal, that restaurant sort of like stereotype where you're like, I'm in the back of the house. Like I hate servers and servers are like, I hate cooks. And it was just like divided like that. And I think if everyone came together, it would have got three Michelin stars. And I said, I want to own a restaurant one day and I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that person. I want to understand what's happening. And I use like the analogy of like, imagine like working so hard. I think actually someone told me this, like imagine working so hard on a dish and you think it's absolutely perfect, right? And then you send it out and then the server uses a spoon that's too short to reach the dish. Like how frustrating would that be? I don't want that for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I started learning about wine and um, I just like everything that I do just got obsessed and uh, couldn't get out. And I like, you know, I, I, yeah, I just, that's all I wanted to do was just like read, 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 read and taste. So I read that while you're working at Qua, you actually said, or at the base, or not said, but you decided that you didn't want to be a cook that only drinks beer and doesn't care about wine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's true. I didn't want, like, I was like, and that's all we did. We just drank beer, drank whiskey, and like, that's cool. But like, I was like, I, I'd want to know more than this, you know? I want to answer, like, I want to know what pairs with the food. Right. So you, you mentioned white burgundy and white Rioja. Yeah. Uh, what type of wines, once you started saying, what were you, what were you initially drawn to? Yeah, it's so funny. So I didn't even like wine. Like, <laughs> I didn't like drinking wine. Like I, I, like, I was just like, this is cool, but, like, I can't drink a lot of it. I like the story. Like, I just, I don't know. I just couldn't do it. I could drink scotch all day long, but I couldn't get, I couldn't, like, <laughs> sit down and finish a bottle of wine by myself or, like, half a bottle of wine. I'd have, like, a glass and that would be it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was really intrigued by the taste and the story and the history of the wine, but it took me a little while to kind of get into it, but definitely fell in love with dry German Riesling, I think, why I was fitting to bring the Keller for today. Um... You know, I remember, I remember, I remember being like, "Oh, I think this might be my first Chardonnay, like California Chardonnay I've ever, I've ever had." I can't remember. It was like a cake bread Chardonnay, and I was like, oh, "Wow, for like thirty bucks, like, who going for it today?" Yeah, right, right. And uh, I was like, "I hate this wine. <laughs> <laughs> like, I never want to drink this." And it's just like I def like from the beginning, my palate has kind of it's changed, obviously, a lot, but like. I've always known what I've liked, and I've always been old world mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. So white burgundy, champagne, northern Rhone, um, just burgundy in general. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> what was some of the things you would you did to begin your wine study while you were at Qua? Besides, obviously, you know, fight your way to drink a bottle of wine by yourself. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, struggle through it. Yeah, struggle I have through a, it. I have a picture. I went out and I bought it's fucking Corton Charlemagne. <laughs> God, I don't I, think I'm gonna be able to do it. So what when what really started for me? So I left Qua okay. um, for a few months to go help 
uh, a, f- a friend of mine who was the new owner of the original restaurant that I worked at. Okay. He came in as a, as a partner. So I went back to Windsor for a few months. Okay. And he wanted to completely redo, like, redo the, the restaurant. He wanted to redo the, the food menu, the, renovate the kitchen, renovate the dining room, everything. And he was like, I want your help with the wine list. And I was like, at that time, I'm like, I have no idea. And th- there were like some regular guests that were that were like, um, hey, can you can you come cook us dinner and do a wine pairing? And I was like, of course I could do a wine pairing. And I was like, I don't know anything about this <laughs> wine. And um, so that really for me was when I really started getting into it. And we were we were renovating the restaurant and then working service. Mm-hmm. And I, we were probably working six days a week. Uh, from like nine to one every single day. And on my day off or two days off, I would just go home and study for 12 hours. And I would go to the, it's the LCBO, it's a liquor store in Canada and, or in Ontario. And I would buy like 24 bottles of wine because I didn't like drinking them. I would just open them all and mm-hmm. taste them. And mm-hmm. like, that was it. <laughs> like, give, like give them to friends. Like my entire paycheck was, went to wine that I didn't drink. So yeah, I don't know. It was... <laughs> I know. I, now I like wine. Now, well, now well, I can drink a little. But you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you had to do that to get to Keller, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, baby, right. baby steps. Baby, baby steps. steps. Um, so, like you said, you started studying. What was what was like your go to uh, resource for studying? You know, I started reading um, the Wine Bible. I think like a lot of people start there. I think it's it's a great intro into wine. It kind of tells you everything that you need to know. Um, and then <laughs> there's a theme. Got you know, as I continued to get obsessed, I was like, well, of course I need like books on, you know, 15 books on champagne and 15 <laughs> books on Burgundy that I've like, pro- you know, that I never read at the time, but right. I needed to have them. And uh, so, you know, I just started getting in and uh, anything, the wines of Burgundy or just any any book um, really that that had a little bit more detail, maybe about producers. And I think for me, that was always the one of the hardest things to gain perspective on was the producer. Like I can learn that like, you know, the the maximum yields in Grand Cru Burgundy and the grape varieties and mel- maximum alcohol. But like there's not – there wasn't that many resources that were easy to come across that like talk about the producers mm-hmm. and like how those wines talk. We were talking about this before. Now there's a lot of wine books. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> But at the time, you know, there was some but like it was – that was challenging. But so yeah. And then the Guild Psalm site came out okay. and like – printed off every single like uh, study guide and like all of the, um, you know, other resources that they have. And, and I, so I studied that a lot and obviously wanted to go through the quartermaster sommeliers. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I just, that's, that's, that was my study technique and it by myself because in Windsor, there's not even, there's no sommeliers. You didn't have, you didn't have like a tasting group, man, of, of Psalms, buddy, no. buddies. Nope. Could come no, over and... I don't. That was just me drinking 20, <laughs> open, tasting Taste 24 blind, bottles. You know yeah. I mean? Can people bring you a tasting blind? <laughs> just go like this, close yeah. my eyes. Close and eyes. And close. Yeah. <laughs> I, I rallied up a few of the like uh, servers and like uh, the owner to kind of get together to like taste some wines together and like try to study together. But like, I definitely like took it to the next level and they were just kind of doing it for fun. Um, it w- I don't know what would have happened. I went to Toronto a couple times to do some blind tastings, but there was, I think like at the time there was one certified sommelier in all of Windsor. Mm-hmm. So there's nobody to like, you know, study with. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about the quartermaster psalms. Uh, you were 22. You passed the certified psalm exam. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I was, I was in Windsor at that time. Um, so yeah, basically a few months after 21, I went to take the intro exam in San Francisco and then like six months later did the certified exam in New York. And um, 
at the time, you know, wanted to go down the the master sommelier path after I think I did for quite a few years and like really, really took like really studied a lot. Um, and then just kind of said to myself, like, one, you can't know everything. Right. And would I rather know a lot about a lot of things and kind of have an overview of everything? Or would I rather like really, really specifically like dig in to the things that I want to drink? And like no offense to like, you know, all like South African wine or Chilean wine. Like I just don't want to drink it. Mm -hmm, like I just mm -hmm. don't find it pleasurable. I know that I like Burgundy. I know that I like German Riesling. I know that I like Champagne. So I'm going to learn everything and I'm going to devote everything to learn about these regions because I don't want to be a master sommelier that when I ask them, which has happened more than many times, <laughs> like which of the 82 first growth Bordeaux do you think are drinking really well right now? And the answer is like, oh, I've actually never had well, any. I was going to say that's that's something I, I you know, I don't have any certifications, but because um, I worked in auctions and I worked at Acker, I was able to taste all these wines, these amazing wines. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, we look at, look at you know, you, we live in a social media world and I, you know, I have an Instagram account and yeah. I've done well from, you know, wealth-ish, but, you know, there's people who have way more followers For than sure. me sure. who've never had a fucking 82 right. first group. Right, right. And they're just flagging their WSET one thing. Right. Right. You know, and like, I'm cool. like, okay. Yeah. Like good for you. Yeah. And, and like in, in, I have a lot of masters that are friends. Yeah. Like mad respect. Yeah. You know, like you're, I've had a number on my show and I'm cool with all of them. Uh, I, of I'm course. Not, it's not a diss. I just wanted to be the person that has an opinion about the wine because I've tasted it. Exactly. Or, or more importantly, I've drank the bottle. Yeah. More than once. Yeah. And exactly. And that's, and that's another thing too. Tasting versus actually sit and get to enjoy a bottle. Yeah. Yeah. And watch it, uh, uh, evolve and you know and the truth is um sadly with a lot of this that high-end stuff is that it is a finite supply totally um and and um and you know it, it's you have you can be fortunate to fall into groups of people who have that the the, the means to share those and then they love sharing with people who get it but I, I think you know um you there's so much about your story already that just like i think the most important thing is for people is your drive and your will to do what you want to do, know what you want to do and yeah. then, and then dive into it. But, you know, I, I'm just hearing that over and over. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a through line. It's a thread through your story. Yeah. You know, like, like I'm doing a wine dinner tomorrow night and I am pouring a South African wine. And I was like, fuck you, Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> but now, no, but I hear you though. Yeah. 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 For sure. And always why I'm doing that is just because, um, uh, um, because I do want to take people a trip around the world, but I don't buy South African wines on a regular basis. You right. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. this is and like and no one is you know it's a fucking sixty five dollar bottle of South African. And so most people right. are not going to buy that. <laughs> right. right, right. So yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Right. So like yeah. Um. So I want to give people a chance to taste something different. But sorry I, but, for everyone from South Africa. <laughs> no, you're not. This is South Africa. But but I, but you make a very good no, point. Like, yeah. like like it's uh, what is he? Uh, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. Like like yeah. like to have a laser like focus, you're going to go much further. Um, you know, the term in social media is niche down. Like who are you? Exactly. Who are you trying? So like, I love what you what you do and, and your philosophy. You know, um, it, it's fucking great. Um, so you decide not to pursue that, and, yep. and you told me why. Um, um, because. And, and it makes a lot of sense. And for me, it was just like, I have a law degree I don't use. I don't need, I don't, I can't do any more school, man. Yeah. I'll, I'll just read my books and find people to taste with. And, you know, right. Cause I, when I, you know, I got into the business when I got out of law school, I was like, I'm not going, I'm not going back to any type of 
yeah formal school bro right yeah it's yeah i'm sure it's, I it's mean, hard I, I didn't even like school as it is i wish i could have dropped out and <laughs> doesn't always work out. I, was, I was lucky yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh well it worked out for carlton mccoy too yeah, I mean, he, he also actually dropped, finished yeah, right yeah, but yeah, yeah dropped out like four times yeah yeah you know um but again, I think that's because you both had a passion, right? So that's right. nothing too. Um, so we also read somewhere that you were actually you said you were disappointed in, in some of the master psalms who gave up their 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 pens oh, during, yeah. during the scandal uh, to denounce systematic racism in the court. Um, explain that. Why? Like I, that that was my question. Like what what does this achieve? If you're the one person in the in the court that is actually upset about this racism. What does you leaving achieve? Right, right. You just leave every. You now you're just the now. There's nobody in the court right. that has any right. issue with this. Like stick it out, but, fight, fight, fight. In you know, influence change. And you just denouncing your pin that doesn't do anything. Like okay, cool. Yeah, right. I mean, exactly. It looks good, right? Thanks for leaving I mean, us behind. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, if you really are, listen, if you're really, I get it, but like. I'll just say it, it kind of reeks of privilege to do that, right? Yeah, you just walk away from the – you walk away like, – I mean, I get, I understand. I do, but it, it reeks of privilege, right? Right, right. right? to just be like, oh, well, because you know what? None of those people are hurt and they still they still, they still still no, got the same course, fucking job they got. Yeah, of course. And like, they, they didn't get – they didn't call – they didn't get Kaepernicked. No, no. They, right? No. No, they were gone. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. No, it's just <laughs> – it, it's one thing to protest and it's another thing to just close your door and leave or, right. you know, shut the door and just walk away. Right. Right. And um, I think in in those instances, be the person to influence change, not to just be like, well, I'm out then if you're not going to do this. Yeah. So that was my issue with it. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that, that, and respect to everybody, but that there's that thing of like to change has to change comes from within, within any, anything. Yeah. Totally. Personal, whatever. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you need people on the inside and, you know, so I, I, I agree with you on that. So um, I also read that you were quoted in Eater as saying, if I were preoccupied by feeling vulnerable because I'm a black Somalia, I'd lose focus on the things that need to be achieved. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, said, I said that. No, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I've said before, I'm like, listen, it, it's about being the best Psalm. I'm black. I, I want to have the yeah. best podcast. I want to be the right. best black podcaster per se. I right. want to have the best podcast, right? Yeah. So I'm committed to my craft. But I also tell people like, you know, <clears throat> you, also this is this is food and wine. This is not right. this is not yeah. 1940s, 50s right. people spitting at you, calling the N-word, throwing stuff at like, you at a baseball stadium. You're, you're not yeah. – we're not really breaking a whole lot of ground here per se because we've been serving people since we got here. <laughs> right. You really think about it. I mean, I'm just like <laughs> – like in this, in we, I got a, I got a lot of requests for, for like be inter on this interviews. Yeah, interviews. Yeah, like oh, we want to like interview you, blah blah blah. And I was like, cool, but like I'm happy to do that as a sommelier, and I will definitely touch on this topic. But I'm not going to give you the story that you want because I can, I don't go to a table and someone go, looks at me and says, oh well, you're like a black guy, so you can't be a sommelier. You're like, okay, that's fine. You can think that, like. I am. And so, <laughs> right. like, let me show you what I can do. And right. at the end of your experience, you're going to leave and be like, well, that was awesome. Right. right. I don't, like, why do I, like, that doesn't hurt me. There's, like, a lot of things that are, like, actual, like actually happen. Somebody slightly doubting you or maybe not and just, like, appearing to is ne never going to affect me. So I'd never let that stuff kind of phase me. Yeah. No, it's, it's funny you said that. But I got requests. It was like, oh, we, what's it like to be a black wine professional? Like, like my Instagram went up, like, two thousand. I mean, it blew up. Yeah. <laughs> it blew up, um, like, after George Floyd. Like, people were like, oh, yeah. my God. Right. This, you know. And, um, 
No, because a friend had me on a show, and I said, I said, I said, I can't give you the story that that yeah. story. You know, right. I was like, you know, you know where I worked. I mean, because I worked at that store. You know, people like he must know wine. He's working at this store, you right? Know? And I didn't know shit when I first started, but you know, I. I was lucky. I was very fortunate to work at a level where, you know, out the gate, first few months, you're drinking all these yeah. incredible wines yeah. and, and be able to deconstruct it. So I, I, I get that. And, and then, uh, um, but you said, what do you think needs to be achieved right now in food and wine? What did you say? Did you have any? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, a lot, a lot of the things that I said to people, I think I, I think I had something, it didn't go anywhere, like food and wine reached out and I said, fine, I'll talk to you about it. And we had a long discussion and I don't think it, it didn't go anywhere because. You didn't I, give them what they want. No, I definitely didn't give them what they want because <laughs> I said something along the lines of like, just because there isn't, doesn't mean that's a bad thing. And they're like, well, that's not what we want to hear right now. And, I know. You know, I but know. it's true. I think you have to, you have to ask yourself that question, like. Are black people being like, well, I don't feel like I can become a sommelier? Because if they're not walking around the street thinking that, which they're not, because like it's just it, – it, it's a bigger problem. You right. Know? That's my thing. I keep – I've said that. I said, I said it's, 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 it's not it, – it's that's the it's, – it, you're looking – you're making something micro that's a macro issue. This is totally. a macro yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And, and um, yeah, no, it's so funny. I As I – you look around and, and you see like in the, in the press – uh, kind of the stories they like to tell in craft, I, I, I don't find those stories necessarily empowering, you know? No, not at all. Um, not at all. You know, um, who it is, uh, it's a great uh, linguist, John McHorder, he works at Columbia, and he, he always talks about, he, he says, you know, um, that book, he hates the book White Fragility. He's like, I don't, you know, like, you're actually making black people look like we, we, we can't persevere, and, and, and the right. exact opposite is what has happened to us. I'm going to be like, we're the probably the most perseverant, some of the most perseverant people on the planet. Yeah. And then people, like, they have to tiptoe around and, you know. And that's the black wine guy came by. I used to be the only black person in the room. And to this day, you know, like, you know, there might yeah. be two or three brothers, a couple sisters in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, there's not many. There's not many. Um, but I don't know if, if that's – and I've always said I, there's nobody there's nobody at the door keeping me out, you know. Not at all. And I was like if the door is not open, I'm okay with opening the door. And that's my right? thing too. Yeah, I just, I'll just i just open the fucking door. I mean also you know? they're like, well, like don't you feel alone? You're like, what? You're like, no, there's like other people around <laughs> that, that I can talk to. I don't only talk to black people. You know what I mean? Like I'm just like I don't understand, you know. Yeah. But I think what's – I think a big thing that – I think that's something that just really needs to change. And it is changing and especially as it pertains to, to the wine industry – this infusion of youth is great. Yes. You guys are killing it. Man. I mean, like, there's a lot of young people that are just constantly looking at things, being like, wait a second. Like, I understand that this is the way that it's it has been done, but this doesn't make any sense, first of all. So, like, what if I do this and I do it the way that I think it makes sense? And I think with that kind of change, it's really, really positive for the industry. And you're starting to see, like, young people, whether they're making wine or young people starting a retail platform or, um, you know, whatever it is. And I think that's really exciting. And that's when you start to see a lot of change, you know, not just the old guards of the industry kind of holding a monopoly, if you will, kind of over it. And um, I, that's going to change. And, and the same thing applies with, with restaurants too, you know what I mean? Um, I, think, I think the restaurant industry is becoming – really sensitive which is hard because it's a it's not a sensitive industry no. i definitely think that there's a lot of issues and i think that like we need to work through that but we also need to be okay with like 
somebody saying you're wrong or you're you did a bad job, you know, or you're like you can't work here because you're a shitty cook. Like you have to be okay with hearing that. You can't like hear that from somebody and then go out and like say, well, they said I was a shitty cook, so now I'm, I'm going to sue them. You're like, well, like you know, <laughs> like everybody's just trying to achieve something great here. You know, I don't condone. A lot it's, of things you know what, that it's, happened. It's t-ball. Yeah, right. It's because we started – because kids grew up – some kids grew up playing t-ball. When I was a kid, there was no t-ball. You could either hit or you couldn't. Right. And and it wasn't – I mean, and <laughs> there's no fucking participation <laughs> that's, trophies. That's, that's incredible. I mean, participation. I mean, what the fuck is a participation trophy, man? Yeah. I, I mean – I don't even want that. <laughs> I just want people to like work towards – a, a sustainable future. Yeah. And like we all have to understand that there's going to be these moments of like uncomfortable – like feeling uncomfortable. And I don't mean in like a sexual way. Because right. like – That's sexual. That's not, 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 not that, no. discrimination. But... I just mean somebody being upset with you and like yelling at you. Like I get that it's not positive but it's you, – you work 14 hours a day. You're tired. Like if somebody yells at you, just listen to what they're saying and not how they're saying it and then move on. Just be like – Cool. After service, done. If you have an issue with it, after service, sit down and be like, hey, I don't like it when you yell at me. Fine. But then move past it and just be a better cook and then you won't get yelled at. <laughs> now, you make a good point. I mean, because, I mean, we <clears throat> we were talking earlier about your afraid athlete, Michael Jordan. People, he was fucking notorious. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like people don't understand. And this is, I've, I, this is also why I've said this before early on the podcast, like, that <clears> – <throat> When you're talking, first of all, fine dining is like the NBA or it's like Absolutely. any elite level. There's yep. only so many jobs, first of all. Absolutely. And they're going to go to the fucking best people. Exactly. So you got to be the best. And like Michael Jordan, was, he punched Scotty Brown in the face. I mean like <laughs> yeah. he – Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, right. he was – A lot of passion. A, he was a motherfucker, right? Yeah. He, like, he was yeah. mean. Yeah. But he yeah. wanted to win, right? So yeah. like if a chef is – he's like trying to get a fucking star here. Like don't right. be bringing your bullshit here. Totally. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 I think I like what you said. There just has to be an understanding of of the level you're playing at. <clears throat> Never should be disrespect or anything. But no. in the heat of the moment, they, in 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 the in the heat of the battle, things happen. Or said and like you said, you can go address it afterwards. But like, right? You know, even President Obama said, "You guys got to chill with this cancel culture." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's a slippery slope. Um, sure. Okay, so you know what? This is a good time. Uh, we need to take a quick break, um, and then we're going to come back with more Thatcher. Hey, hey, what's up? It's MJ again. Listen, we all love a sexy wine label, but the back label is more important. Do you want to know how to score a great bottle of wine every time? Turn that bottle around and look for the Skernick Wines logo. Skernick Wines has been one of my favorite portfolios since I came into the business over 20 years ago. Whether it's a $10 bottle or a $100 bottle, you can count on Skernick Wines to deliver every time. And... It's not just about wine. They also have one of the finest portfolios of craft spirits. Make sure you go to their website, www.skernick.com, and check out their ever-evolving library of cocktail recipes. Listen, I don't say this lightly. Skernick is a name you can trust when it comes to wine and spirits. Okay, we're back. Um, so let's let's get into uh, Thatcher's Wine Consulting. Yeah. Um, so... Like, what was the inspiration? How did you get the idea? What I mean? Yeah. So after um, after I passed my certified, um, I went to go. I went back to San Francisco, um, and and started working at Cezanne. Um, and this was kind of in the there. There were two Michelin star restaurant at the time, and we were kind of working towards the the third star. Okay. And um, you know, I, I it was in a, so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm no. really interrupting. 
Uh, were you cooking at Saison? No, I, I was. It was wine. So okay, I was, it was like, wine. okay, so, so you like, made the transition exactly. To wine. Okay, yeah. So okay, I was like, okay. okay, just passed my certified exam. Okay. What am I going to do? How am I going to make this grade? And okay. so the other three restaurants in San Francisco at the time that had two star were Bennu, Quince, and um, and Saison. Okay. And so I was like, I applied for all of them, and I was super lucky. I got a, a position at all three, and I just made a decision, and I chose Saison because okay. they had this amazing wine list. It was a restaurant like no other. They were really trying to look through their own lens and do something different than what everyone else is doing at the two and three Michelin star uh, world. And it was there that I had gotten to know some guests. And so, I, you know, after Cezanne, I went to Tokyo for a couple of years, came back, helped open a few restaurants. And that's when I when I got this idea. And it, and it happened really naturally. Um, the A couple regular guests that I had known since 2014 would come in and they would just Pick me a bottle of wine. You know what I like to drink. You know the price point that I like. Fine. And then they were like, hey, well, would you also do this at our house? You know, would you help us find some wine? And I said, yeah, sure, of course. And I didn't think anything of it. She's like, I want to pay you. I'm like, no, it's fine. Like, I'm happy to just help you find wine. And then I realized that it's not that easy. It's not easy to build a collection. Um, It's really... It's annoying, like to the shipping processes, and where do I get these wines, and are they have they been stored correctly, and are they real, and all of this thing, all of these things, and I I, I realize that there is definitely something while niche that like would be amazing to sort of um, you know help people in that process, help them build the collection. So I, I started just in a in a purely consulting role, and um, and then we started to expand the business a little bit more, but. Um, that, yeah, it was just, it was just kind of like a gut feeling. It was weird for me to leave restaurants. It's the only time I've ever not worked in a restaurant. Um, but I just, there was definitely something that I just knew that like I could help with that was maybe not, it was a little bit in the market. Like it was a, you know, there are some other, there were some other wine consultants, but not really. And so, um, after coming back from Tokyo for yeah, two years. Yeah, let's talk about Tokyo. You yeah. were in Tokyo for two years. Yeah. Okay, so what were you doing in Tokyo? So um, I so I was like <laughs> – so I spent two years at Cezanne. We got our third star. And I was like, hey, it's been a while since I've like moved to another place without a job. Like that would be fun. I was like, <laughs> I was like no, I want to I wanna put myself in another situation and, and, and like push myself again. And I was like, I don't want to go down the same path that everyone – goes down. Everyone, when they work at a three Michelin star restaurant, goes to the French Laundry per se, mm-hmm. you know, and just makes these rounds of all of these three Michelin star restaurants all around the around the U.S. And I was like, I want to do something totally different. And since forever, I had this very big interest in like sushi and Japanese food, and, and I was very passionate about it. And um, so I was like, I'm going to move to Japan. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'm going to move to Japan. I don't speak Japanese. I'm just like, saying, do you speak Japanese now? <laughs> I, speak, yeah, I speak Japanese now. Okay. Um, and um, so I just, I, I just moved to Tokyo. And um, I know it's, it's, so, it's wild. wild. I, I don't, in retrospect, I don't like recommend that for anybody. But um, <laughs> so I had a couple contacts of some really great restaurants. Okay. Dan, Lefervescence, Takazawa, that I had met the chefs before when dining in Japan or they had come to Cezanne and I, and I you know, they gave me their card or whatever. And so I, you know, I reached out, I sent an email and was super lucky to have a, a decent resume at the time. So they were like, yeah, for sure, come in for an interview. Um, there were some job offers on the table and I chose Takazawa because, I mean, it was just, and just still is like such a cool restaurant. It's a three table restaurant. 10 guests tonight, 
and the chef is the sommelier, and it's just him and his wife, and uh, there's like a, a sous chef and like a couple, you know, a dishwasher or whatever, and that's it. And um, at the time, it was like super high on the Asia's World 50 Best list, and I was like, this is definitely the place. And it was also very wine-focused, and I was at the point where I had just spent the last couple of years, you know, working service at a three Michelin star restaurant, and I was like, well, is it time to get back into the kitchen? And so I went to I went I took mm. the job, started cooking, and um, incredible experience. Japan makes like, you know, a lot of experiences. If, I mean, you can't work in Japan if you're sensitive. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I can tell you some stories. Oh man, it is intense. Uh, there's no HR department there. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. And uh, it's wild. So um, I started, you know, started cooking, and then and I, what happened? Like a few weeks in, or a couple months in, like. I'm sorry. Um, cooking. What was what type of cuisine did they? Was so it? they called it like Takazawa cuisine. So it's like this. It's basically he's he's traveled quite a bit. Okay. Spain, Mexico, France, etc. And so he just takes all of his inspiration and brings it back and makes Japanese food, but like in his own style. Okay. Okay. So okay. he does. It's it's really kind of artistic. He's like really good friends with Grant Ackett's from Alinea mm -hmm. and they bounce ideas back and okay. forth. So it's kind of – it's not molecular but it's – there's definitely some of those aspects okay. that are. Um, and so what happened was this this table came in. It was like four Americans and they were moving back and they just wanted to celebrate and have a good time. They had like a pretty small wine list. I mean it was a big wine list for the size of the restaurant. They probably had 70 or 80 selections on the list which is pretty, pretty sizable. And um, – they came in, they wanted to celebrate, and they were talking to the chef because he normally does all the wine service as well. Okay. And they're like, he's like, one second. And he comes into the kitchen. I have like my chef's jacket and apron. He's like, hey, you used to be a son. Can you go talk to this table? Like I don't really understand. He speaks English but like not perfectly. Okay. And he's like, I don't really understand exactly what they want. And so I, I went in. I went out to the table and they ended up like really going for it. Like they did like their basically one table for the night was like what the revenue of the restaurant makes for like a month. And so he was like, hey, would you – do you want to just like be a psalm? <laughs> you know? And so um, I was like, okay, cool. He's like, and we'll, 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 we'll back whatever you want to do. Here, you, here's a budget. Uh, build the wine program. Do whatever you want. And we trust you. What was uh, – what, what were some of the wines they went for that night? I'm just curious, man. Uh – they had 05 Coche Corton Charlemagne. Um, they had 79 Krug Clos de Menil. Uh, they had 99 Latosh, um, 59 Oprion. Like they were <laughs> – no, they were – they had a good time for sure. Um, Shit. Yeah. Yeah, they had a lot of wine. <laughs> and the rule in the restaurant was you always had to pour a glass of wine for the chef. And so he was also having a, a yeah, great – Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. A great time. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, they were like, here's, you know, we can do this. We trust you, do whatever you want. And, uh, it was so much fun. Such an incredible experience to like be running a wine program, not speak the language and like serve, you, you know, it's so, it was such a, I don't know. I mean, it's, it was singular for sure. And they also had a, a 12 seat bar across the street called Takazawa Bar. Okay. And, um, it became this haven and, 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 and still is, I haven't been back in a couple of years, um, obviously with everything going on, but it became this haven where people from Hong Kong and Singapore and the US, every time they came to Tokyo, they would come to Takazawa Bar and all of the expats would host their, you know, Hong Kong friends. And we would just 
cr- like I they would go bananas. Crazy. I mean, like these guys would come in. We had some regular guests. They would come in with like six guys and open like twenty bottles of wine, and just ev- like every night we were just going through so much wine. So we expanded the wine list from like seventy five selections to like fifteen hundred selections for this tiny restaurant. And um, yeah, it was amazing. And <laughs> plus, Japan has like some of the best bottles of Burgundy that exist. It's incredible. They've just had them since the seventies, and they haven't moved. And they're super meticulous about how things are stored. Uh, it's really, really incredible. So what was, what was that like, man? Like, like we'll back you. Like, you like, yeah, we're just, that's got to be bananas. It was crazy. I mean, it, you know, it was a lot of responsibility, and it was obviously. And like, how old were you? Uh, twenty. Uh, four or something like that. Yeah, I was young. I was super young in a country. You don't twenty four. Yeah. Could have moved to Tokyo. I don't <laughs> speak the language. Yeah, and I get to spend millions of dollars on wine. Okay. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. crazy. It was yeah. so much fun. Yeah, there's gonna be people like, like, fuck this guy. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, dude. I don't know. How can I be you? <laughs> and I was blessed. I mean, it's it, some really honestly like just the timeline kind of worked out and i was really lucky to kind of get to where i yeah. you know where i was and, and whatnot so. so how long did you did you do that man? so two years okay um yeah we we you know started going down the the uh the the grand award for wine spectator we didn't quite get to the you know three cups we got the the one the two before or the one before and uh you know we just didn't have we tried so hard we just didn't have there was no space no i mean spe- it was yeah. like a 10 seat restaurant right because you like, have to have basically like Every great wine from every region of the world. Yeah, you have to have a pretty fleshed out list. And like we did. I mean, we got like these really amazing bottles of – there was a gentleman, one of like our most regular guests. He he sold us. He had like this amazing collection of Australian wine. So he had like Hill of Grace back to the 70s and just like some really incredible stuff. Keller was like basically free. Like it was so cheap back then. Uh, There was Koch everywhere. We had Jaillet. Um, we had like, what they called him wine papa and, um, he had one of the most incredible Jaya collections. He had been going to Burgundy for 30 years and just had, you know, brought, like just brought it back with him, got it straight from the domain. It's crazy. Richborg stacked up is nuts. And, um, and so, you know, we had all these really amazing wines on the list and, um, you, you learn a lot about yourself when you live in Japan because it's a really sort of closed off, um, culture for sure um you learn obviously how to communicate to people that don't speak the same language and try to figure like try to talk about wine obviously i learned how to talk about it so it was fine my definitely i can speak japanese pertaining to food and wine okay. if you want to talk about couches i don't like i don't know <laughs> i couldn't no idea couldn't talk about that stuff um and uh and yeah so it was it was a really eye-opening experience i have i've never drank better when that as Compared to like it was, I thought at Saison, in the in the in the heyday, if you will, of like going from two to three stars, like my first day at Saison, like we opened up like a bunch of eighties Latosh and you know, eighty two eighty two first gross all the time and like all of these wines, it was amazing. But when I got to Japan, I was just like, wow, this is a whole whole other level of wine. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> after you did that, after you did your time. If you did hard time hard in Japan. Time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Sake gets to you. I know. Um, you came back to the United States and yep. then that's when you launched the uh, wine consulting or did you go back into another restaurant situation briefly? Yeah. So I – so 
after I was having a hard time re-extending my visa after the after the two years. And so I was kind of like, you know, they were like, you can stay, we'll figure it out. So I could I could stay and kind of have a questionable future. Or I was also getting calls from Josh from Cezanne and being like, hey, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're opening these restaurants, we want you to come back, okay. we want you to op- help us All open right, So this thing. is when you came back to help them open these restaurants. Exactly, okay. yeah. Okay. So I came back and um, there was a big transition at Cezanne, Laurent Gras, who has like been like, you know, an idol to me since when he was at L2O. He was taking over for for Josh and then they wanted to open these anglers. Um, and so, you know, I helped with the transition for Laurent and helped open Angler, um, which was an amazing experience mm-hmm. opening such a like it was a monster of a restaurant. And um, but yeah, that after after two years of that, um, that's when I said that's when I was like, I want to I want to create my own, my own future. I want to be in charge. I want to do my own thing. And I think that there's like really something here. And that's when I started TWC. Okay. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, so you've been doing this for a couple years now. Yep. And and also with all your history with being a Sam. So, um, what's it like to acquire these wines and build these cellar? What is 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 it about the chase? Is that happen? What is what's 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 wine acquisition? Yeah. So I mean, for initially. So as I had mentioned, initially we started just in like a solely consulting capacity, right? Okay. Where we just acted like as advisors and we helped just make the process a little bit easier. So we would go out and find the wines for you through like our network um, or like, you know, we would just buy it from like other retailers. And then I was like, I don't love this idea so much. I feel like I'm just kind of like a a personal shopper and I don't have any like, I don't have any skin in the game. So mm-hmm. like if the bottle's bad, like I'm sorry, but like you got it from that. We got it from this person, you know? And so I'm like, I want to, I want to like, I want to be more responsible. So I was like, I want to get a liquor license. And so we started kind of developing our Mm. own, like we started finding, getting wines from importers and things like that. And so, um, you know, that was really incredible. And then we're like, well, we were getting all these like last minute requests where people are like, you know, clients would say, Hey, I need like a bottle of, you know, eighties champagne tomorrow. And you're like, Oh, like I don't, I don't have it. Like, I got to go out and, like, find it from somebody and be like, oh, you know, it's from, like, it's there. Like, can you ship it? They're like, no, we can't ship it today. And so it was it was just getting a little tricky. And I was like, well, what if we started to develop our own inventory? And so we started building our own inventory, which made that process a lot easier. And then it allowed us to, top, to like, tap into private collectors who are like, well, I want to sell this seller. And, uh, or we could get allocations from, you know, all of these relationships that we've had with distributors or importers for so long. And um, I used the Royal Wii because it was just me at the time. But um, oh. and um, and so then we started developing that. And then, you know, uh, about a year in, um, I was like, well, it would be kind of cool to launch like a boutique style website, like e-commerce platform, mm-hmm. because I'm really I love DRC and I love Kosh and I love Rumier. But there's also like other wines that I really like too you know like i like keller i like i want to be able to like have these wines and i want to be able to share them with everyone so we i started just a small little website and um and that's kind of taken off and we've definitely increased our inventory by like a like insane amount in the last six months um and then we also started the the import process which you know exclusive imports into california and whatnot which we're working on we just launched we're just we're working on developing more now um, but that acquisition is always the most challenging and it's the thing that we spend the most amount of time on. I mean, just like anything, it's one thing. It's easy to sell, but it's not easy to find. 
And, um, but it's, it's so much fun when you do find, you build these networks with people and they take a personal liking to you. And so they're like, yeah, I like you. Like I'll, I'll sell you a few cases of wine and, you know, the whole wine industry. And I think what people often forget and often why there's not like, there aren't really like billion dollar wine companies because everybody's solution. You talk to somebody that works in like, you know, the VC world or something, or, or they're like, well, what if I just give you a billion dollars? Like, and I'm like, I'm like, you can give me a billion dollars, but I would have to create margin. I can't buy a billion dollars worth of wine. I mean, I guess you, well, you, you couldn't. You, it's like the entire. In, yeah, like, I mean, it would be. Yeah, you would have the whole market. You would literally. I would literally <laughs> just go on Wine Searcher and just type in every wine and just like buy, buy, buy. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's you know, it's not a transactional industry. It's still in a sense super romantic, and it's all relationship based. It's all relationships. People do things not. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of wealth in the wine industry, but people don't do it to who's the highest bidder um, or who has the most money. It's just relationships. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. Yeah. So we put a lot of work into that. <laughs> he said, someone said, I'll give you a billion dollars. I was like. <laughs> Literally, that, I mean, that's what he said. No, okay, we, you missed it, we were right? having a conversation about a uh, wine business and he's like, I don't understand why he wouldn't fundraise a billion dollars and i was like i'm like what okay and like clearly we live in like different worlds but like i don't even there's no no that's so much wine that would be it would everyone would go out of business yeah i i, I so <laughs> it's that is insane like, that is like, it's a lot of but, but, but it's a, that's a lot of keller that's a lot of kush that's a lot of <laughs> Richborg, that's a lot of DRC mantra shit. That's not a, a lot. It's all of it. It's li- it's, it's so literally much. all of it. It's so much wine. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's all the salon in the world. <laughs> in the world and <laughs> and salon. Right. Yeah. yeah. You would own and the sal- you'd own the chateau for uh, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, so I got I got a couple hundred bucks. Uh, what type of services do you offer? It's a good question. I mean, the services at this point, um, we're pretty much retainer basis. Um, You know, we work with people more so, you know, we do events and dinners and things like that, but we work a lot on an annual basis because like, it's hard. I mean, some, we've had some requests where, where people are like, Hey, like here's X amount of money. I just need a great seller of Burgundy and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll do it. We can put it together. But a lot of the stuff that we do, things take time. And I think that if you're going to start a collection today or really sort of like iron out some of the, the things that are in your cellar and kind of try to improve it a little bit, if you just go out, especially like right now, the market is insane. So if you just go out into the market and you are buying, you're going to spend like 30% more than what you need to. And if you just take your time, you develop a basis of like some really great bottles that you can have to drink throughout the next couple of years and you want to add to that. If you're patient, you'll find – you'll save a lot and you'll find better quality bottles. And I always tell that to people. I'm like, stop going on Wine Searcher and just like looking for the cheapest wine. Like there's a reason that the like 03 Latosh from some person in like, you know, Florida is like $1,000. There's a reason that that wine costs that much. It's probably – low fill questionable provenance like take your time let's set some goals because it's what florida you was it in proper zone <laughs> right to, yeah. to low fill yeah six centimeters and yeah. uh it's like what's well, a good price you're like okay. okay and so like take your time stop let's create some goals what do you need right now right and so 
you know, for the hundred dollar range, I mean, we we it's not like there are necessarily are the the thing that we focus on the most. Like we started a little thing called TWC Seller Access, so it's just kind of like a it's a I don't want to call it this word. It's like it's a wine club, if you will, but like we're trying to really include like incredible bottles and things that like people aren't doing. So we cap the we cap the membership. There's a there's only a limited number of spots okay. because if you get a, if you have a thousand people on your wine club, that means you need to find wine that's yep. made in a thousand bottle quantity right. that you can gain access to, which is like which again yeah. is. If someone's making a thousand bottles, they're all around the world. You're right. not going to, yeah, you know, exactly. It's yeah. an, it's so hard to find, and so we we did it at ninety eight and one fifty. So if you have a hundred and fifty bucks, like that's something that we offer, right? Like every single month, three bottles, sometimes four of like wine. We're truly, truly excited about, and that's drinking well right now. And so you can just sign up subscription basis, and you'll learn. You know, we we send out the email so that you know exactly. Tell a story about like a personal story about the wines, and then some facts. And it's been it's been going really well, and like people can find that. And it's something that's accessible to everyone because paying an annual retainer for your seller is definitely something that is very niche, and, and only you know a select few people really need that level of service. But if you're just like a wine lover and you want to learn more, that's like definitely something that we can do. Definitely. So there you go, guys. And that's all this information will be in the show notes where you can find information on that. Um, but regarding, like you said, that that niche of uh, seller curation, um, I would have to think that uh, what is like the intake process? Is it, it must be pretty rigorous. Like what type of questions are you asking when, when you're about to take on a client? Because like you said, um, it's not just the money because you're going to work with these people. Like you don't want to work with a fucking asshole, let's be honest, right? No, I mean, you need to – You there's a, there's a finite amount of people that you can work with yeah. and just have the bandwidth to do it because <clears> – <throat> It's really time consuming. People want to people. <laughs> it's funny. People want to talk to you, which takes a lot of time. Yep. They just want to ask questions and like, you know, I, at like seven o'clock, I get like ten text messages of like wine list yeah, exactly, bottles exactly. and people are like, what should I order? <laughs> like, what do you think about this wine? Oh, this wine's really great. And I'm like, I get all right. I guess I'll have dinner at nine. And um, and and so it's it's yeah. I mean, you 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 have to select who you want to work with because it has to be a match, right? Mm -hmm. And like, so we don't really work with California wine. We do like some older stuff. Mm -hmm. Like we've been, like we have a couple clients that are really excited about like, you know, 70s and 80s Napa Cabernet, which, you know, I am too. I think those wines are really great. But like if somebody's like, oh, I just want to buy Harlan and Bond and like no offense, like, you know, Will's a great friend and like, you know, like all of these wines, like it's just not our focus. Sure. And so – that would be somebody that perhaps we would say, hey, if you're looking to go through your cellar and go from drinking, you know, 2015 Napa Cabernet and you want to start drinking Burgundy, like, cool, we'll help you sell that wine mm -hmm. and then convert that to Burgundy. We're going to be a great fit. And then you and then you taste wine together and you have dinner and, and you build the relationship and you start to see that, see their palate. And that's like always a good match. But you know, not everybody's a good fit. And I think it's a, it's a weird thing to, um, it's a weird thing to say no to money, right? You're right. just like, yeah, I could like, sure, pay me, but like, it's got to be a good fit. And I think it's you, what you don't want is to have someone that you don't um, sort of meld with nicely, and then it affect others, mm -hmm. right? The other clients. Mm -hmm. So it's important to kind of, so we ask a lot about, you know, what do you like to drink? What are your favorite wines? Where do you envision this seller going? 
what is your budget? Super important question. Yeah. Um, because the it has to justify the price of like having somebody kind of work in your cellar or whatnot. Um, you know, we ask, what is your drinking habits like? Like, are you drinking? Like, why are you building a collection? Some are building a collection for their kid, um, which is awesome. I think it's amazing. We have someone right now that we're working with and he's building it for his son. And like the kid is, I'm like, wow, your kid is pretty lucky. <laughs> your kid's got a lot of Romani Conti, sir. Um, uh, and and, and, and some, some are doing it just to drink and some, some are doing it because, you know, they – they they love the history or, mm-hmm. or whatnot, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you you can only have maybe twenty clients, yeah. right? At that at that level, mm-hmm. and so you 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 might as well you know pick the ones that like are gonna not be somebody that spends you know a million dollars in three months and then is like oh I don't need have a need for this service anymore. Yeah. There's somebody that you work with for five years or ten yeah. years and really help them build their seller because it's a relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So um, with the pandemic, <clears throat> I, you know, I know that a lot of restaurants were forced to sell off their sellers last year during lockdown. How did that affect your business? Yeah, I mean, the, the pandemic was a struggle for everyone. I think I, obviously um, nobody knew what was happening, and I think that's still true today. Um, so we, 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 the, the pandemic was good for us. You know, we, we, um, we had two – we have three employees now, soon to be four. And uh, uh, we hired Noah just prior to the the pandemic, and he was nervous. Obviously, he's like, "Am I going to lose my job? It's fine. We'll we'll we'll, we'll figure it out." And worst case, we'll just like move to another country or something. Um, and uh, so we so we hired Noah. We, we used to work together at Cezanne. He was okay. the director of wine programs for the hosp- for the whole hospitality group. And then um, right when the pandemic started, uh, a little bit after the pandemic started, sorry, we hired Courtney, who was the wine director at the Modern. And uh, which was cool because, you know, we were kind of tapping into the New York market a little bit more. Um, but, you know, and then because we've all worked in restaurants, a lot of sommeliers or wine directors came to us and were like, hey, like, we need cash. Like, do you have clients for like this or for that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so we bought a lot of wine from 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 restaurants. And and it was like, you know, I mean, obviously I had an interest in it, but like, you know, I was like, I want to, if you guys, I'm, I'm asking you guys because I want to help you, mm-hmm. not just because I want my business to thrive. Right. You're not like, a vulture. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're here to help. And you're like, if you need to the create The wolf cat. of wine street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, no, the pandemic was good. And that's, and we launched the website um, for online retail just prior to that, uh, like in, in like February. So like a month before like New York shut down and San Francisco shut down. And, um, you know, we started – I started adding and adding and adding to the to the, to the the retail platform and it started to gain some traction and to the point now where it's like a it's, – it's kind of its, its own thing. I mean it's going really well and um, that's why we're hiring someone else and we're just expanding and adding a lot more really fun bottles on and things that we're excited about. Yeah, really cool. <clears throat> uh, what are some of the craziest bottles you've been asked to find? Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes we get, sometimes like people, so you're, so like, so like I'll get like four, like someone's like, oh, can you, like, can you get a couple bottles of, of, uh, 45 Romani Conti? And you're just like, you're like, come on. Like, I mean, the last one sold for half a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, I'm like, I can, I know somebody that bought that bottle. I can ask him, but he's not going to sell it what he paid for, yeah, you know, yeah. or just like, it's like, you know, it's so, it's such a hard thing to be like, it's not going to happen. 
because it's just like you I'm, i want to go out and find it but like that's a hard those bottles are so impossible to come by and then the provenance of them is like they're so hard to find so you have to be patient and that's why i was kind of like we work with people on like a annual or more than annual basis because like those things happen. You can't just like call someone up and be like, hey, do you have any 45 Romney Conti sitting around that you want to sell? So 45 Romney Conti was, was a stretch. Um, you know, Meg's a 45 Mouton. You know, we get a, a lot of requests and you're like, well, if you want a real Magnum. Right. I mean, because there's like then I think. <laughs> I can get you a 45 Mouton <laughs> Magnum. <laughs> right. If you want a real From Magnum. the Rudy collection. <laughs> <laughs> there's, I, there's tons of Magnums on Wine Searcher, but like a real right. with proven provenance, not an easy thing to find. Because how many were made? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Not many. I mean, I forgot who I read an article, but someone's like, there's more uh, Magnums of like you know, 88 Petrus in, oh, yeah, for in sure. fucking Las Vegas oh, than there was absolutely. ever made. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say I would say the ask for 45 Romani Conti was hard. Uh, we had a we had a hard one. It was um, – we, we did it. Uh, it was a hard one. It was basically in a week they needed a case of champagne. The vintage had to end in six and every bottle had to be $10,000. And I was like, well, first of all, wow, okay. so there's, I'm trying to think about what the fuck? there's almost no bottles of champagne that cost $10,000. Right. There's very few. Right. And so we were like, like, okay. Because like even like, so six, I'm like, so 96, 86, 76, 66. Right. So I'm like, we're going to have to really start at 66 because 96, like Ambonet is like 3000 bucks, $4,000, $10,000 bottle of champagne, almost impossible. So we ended up, we ended up figuring it out and like. It was pretty crazy how we did it. We had to like – it was – we had to finagle some stuff and ask a lot of people. Uh, but we ended up like 66 Salon and like all of this stuff. It was pretty amazing. But I didn't think that that was going to be doable because even everyone that I asked was like, I mean, I'm happy to sell you 2006 Dom Perignon for $10,000. Right. I was going to say like – I mean, I mean like, yeah. I, I mean, it could be $10,000. But I'm like, you know, I obviously It will wanted, be at some point. <laughs> right. But I wanted to make sure that there was value and we weren't just like – making it $10,000 because, like, that was the request. So it ended up being pretty cool. We did 66 crew collection, 66 salon. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so let's talk about you. I read you have a private collection. Yeah. Uh, what are some of your favorite bottles in your collection? Um, yeah, it's it's honestly the hardest thing about doing having a wine shop is selling wine because it's like, man, I don't want to sell this wine, right, right. but I have to, right. but I don't really want right. to. Do I have to? I don't know. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, the things that I'm always, the, the things that I always kind of, you know, want to add to my collection, things like uh, Munich Borg, you know, I love, I think, I think their wines are incredible. A lot of champagne, like old vintages of Solos, like, of course I want to sell them, but like, I don't. Because, like, they sell for so much money, but, like, I don't want to. Like, I have some 88s and 89s and stuff. I'm just like, I'll never find these wines again. They're in perfect condition. I just want to hold on to them. Keller, for sure. Um, his wines are amazing. So I try, I, you know, I try to find as much as I can just for, for personal. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of Arnaud Show, the new wines that Charles is making. So, like, all the wine, like, 17s, 18s, and soon to be released 19s in the fall, like, I try to I try to as much as I possibly can hold on like find that stuff and kind of put it in my own collection. I will because I think that he's doing amazing things. And it, for me, it's not about like 
you know, filling up my cellar with like DRC and stuff like that. I just like, I'm not really interested in that. I just want to have things that like, I'm really excited to drink, like Gonan, Allemange, like old Jamais, 80s Jamais. I was like, I put, um, when I started the website, I was like, well, I need to put some wine on the website if it's going <laughs> to be a wine website. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put 85 Jamais on the website and it's sold. And I was like, I'm taking everything else off. Like, Never mind. <laughs> Scratch that. I'm taking it back. So I did the same thing with Keller. I had some 09 Absurder and I was like, nope, never mind. Taking it off. Don't care. <laughs> Don't need to hang on to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's kind of, it goes hand in hand, right? You work in the wine industry. There's things that you're really excited about, things that are really passionate about and you hold on to them. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of new producers like Le Show, Berthe Gerbet, um, you know, the next generation um, winemakers in Burgundy. Um, I just try to, you know, I, I want to, I know that they're going to, they're going to go some, they're going somewhere already and you can see it in the market. And I want to, you know, I hope that like I was in Kansas city, uh, two weeks ago with somebody that I can only describe as like a wine wizard. He's like, he's, it's incredible. Like it's incredible. It's like 90 years old and has like been buying DRC since like the seventies vintage. And it's the thing about wine, like you would be surprised at where some of these ama- most amazing collections in America are. And they're like, in, like, like you said, in Kansas. Yeah. One was, time I went to some doctor's house in, in, in Ohio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking $7 million seller. Right. Right. And like, and it's like, it's fucking Ohio. Bro. I know. Yeah. But he probably paid $100,000 for that seller. Right. right? And right, now right, it's, right, it's right, like right. worth $7 million. Yeah. But, but no, that's so, yeah. So, and I'm thinking when you said to Kansas, I'm like, the wonderful wizard of Oz. So tell us about the wonderful wizard of wine in oh, Kansas. He's, he's he's incredible. He's a, I, and this was my first time meeting him, and uh, it, s- such a nice guy, and has literally had everything, and just was like, you know, pulls out like 1970 DRC Montrachet that he like had since release, basically. And I'm just like, wow. I'm like, I want that for myself one day. <laughs> like, I want to be buying like these producers that will like. You know, I want to like in 40 years have amassed like a really incredible collection and not – like I said, not DRC, just like the things that mm-hmm. are, are going to be kind of at that same level in, in, in a few years. And so – but yeah, he – he um, we – we yeah, we had an amazing dinner it was a, with a few friends and it was a, it was a Montrachet tasting and um, there was also a bottle of 99 Coach CC next to like a bunch of other mm-hmm. stuff, which is incredible. But he was just so – knowledgeable like it's i mean that's like the thing that he did and in throughout the tasting he had his laptop in front of him and like five books with like maps and he was for him it wasn't just like drinking like some people are like drinking drc montrachet because it's like this you know seven thousand yeah, dollars it's drc it's montrachet like, and i so want to say cool. i drank it and i'm you know i got money now and he's like which date did they pick in 1970 i was like I mean, I'm like, dude, you're, like, you're that's, going way that's, deep I don't, for me, bro. I don't even know if they know. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um, so, yeah, it was a really humbling experience to kind of have someone that has had so many amazing bottles and just talk about them. Um, but, yeah, he's – I can only describe him as the wine wizard. He's amazing. It's crazy. So um, what was the bottle that sent you over the moon, though, man? What was – So my aha bottle with wine when I was – like in the transition period was um, two thousand. So funny in retrospect, that like that wine must be so wild right now. It was a uh, 03 Kool Aid Cicerone. Okay, yeah, from Nicholas Trolley. That was like, wait a second, like this is wine. Like wine can be like this. In in fairness, there's not a lot of wines that are like <laughs> Kool Aid Cicerone. But um, you know, it just was like uh, it was it was such a wow um, moment for me. That was. Um, 
I think I had just passed my intro exam and I just was like, wow, like I, I don't know anything about wine. I need to learn. Um, been, I've been pretty lucky to have some pretty incredible uh, bottles since that have just like changed my perspective on how ethereal something can be. Such as? Uh, it's funny. A lot of people ask me like, what's your, what's your best red wine or what's your best champagne? What's your best white wine? And I think for champagne and for red wine, it's a really, really, really hard question for me to answer because okay. I'm just like, could be this, could be this. But the one bottle that has always stood out, and I've had it once, and I was lucky last year I found one more bottle that's tucked away, was 69 Vogue Musini Blanc. And wow, it was – and maybe it was because I was – I'm so doubtful of those wines. I love Vogue Pre-71. I think those wines are incredible. Um, but I, the bottle, so I was in Tokyo, and this is when I first started. And I, was, I had mentioned like Wine Papa, and mm-hmm. I literally thought it was their dad. But now I understand why they call him like Wine Papa because, man, his cellar is insane. So it, the lineup was insane. So he brought 85 Jaya Richborg, which is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, right? And such an amazing bottle of wine. Maybe the rarest um, but maybe, I mean, you could say like 78 or 59, but maybe, uh, maybe the rarest. And, um, we, I was like, that's definitely going to be the wine of the night, obviously. And there's, he's like, bring the 69. I was like, like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Like the color's a little dark in the bottle. The fill is okay. You know, but I was just like so doubtful of this wine. And, um, so they opened the bottle, poured it in the glass. And in the in the bottle, it looked a little bit darker. But in the glass, it just kind of like lightened up okay. as soon as it was poured. And I didn't want to talk to anybody for the rest of the night. <laughs> I just was like, just leave me alone. Like, I just want to smell this wine. It was so, it was so perfect. And I don't know if I'll ever, I don't know if this bottle that I'll have at some point in my life will ever be that same experience. But it was such a singular experience for me. And you never see the wine. Um, ever. I've been looking for since then. And this was, this was in, is since Tokyo. And so, um, but for me, that was like, wow, like white burgundy is the, maybe the greatest wine in the world, you know? And I love red burgundy, but I think the more wine that I drink, I drink way more white wine than I do red wine. Mm. Uh, like personally, like at home, I drink way more white wine, even though most wine dinners are red wine focused. But for me, there's something about an amazing bottle of, of, of white that just, it hits like nothing else. I have not had the opportunity to taste all these amazing white wines you've had, but I did have an epiphany at one point um, that um, white wines are actually more complex than red wines. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, I, they, they really are. Yeah. And particularly as they age. Yeah. Um, and I love red wine, but and and I probably still drink more red wine. But but the reality is, this was like like when I was first in my, I was like, no, I, I like white wine is really complex. It's an, it deserves so much more attention yeah. and time than people give it. And like and like and what we're talking about here, like Riesling, and then white Burgundy. I mean, I you know, you fortunate in that like you were the dining aspect of white Burgundy. Uh, get you in that world. I mean, it's there's such small quantities from these domains, and and they all express um, the place, but also the style. You know, the style of the winemaker. Totally, the style of the winemaker getting out of the way of his own self to express the place. I mean, it's 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 crazy. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big believer, and I see a lot of guys too, guys and girls that like you know have have 
drank some really amazing wines or have an amazing collection. And a lot of them all get to a point where they're like in a wine dinner, you have 12 bottles and like six are white and four are reds and they focus even more and they're more excited about whites. Even though like today, maybe we're in a struggling place of like new vintages of white burgundy based off of like how hot it is. Yeah. Um, but like those older bottlings, I mean, they're pretty, that's, yeah, yeah, I'm with you 100%. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, uh, Thatcher, I'm sure we could talk for more hours because I'm sure we didn't even get, we could like, you're not, you can't tell all with the clients, but I'm you know you got fucking stories for years. <laughs> <laughs> A couple. Yeah. Um, uh, <clears throat> tell everybody um, where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing, how they can uh, be, a, you know, uh, they don't have to have a billion dollars to uh, uh, be a part of TWC. Um, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Instagram uh, or the website's all the same. Uh, so Thatcher's Wine Consulting dot uh, com for the website or just Thatcher's Wine Consulting for Instagram. Uh, I'm Thatcher Baker Briggs on, on, on Instagram, on my personal profile. Um yeah, but anybody's welcome. I mean, whether it's, you know, you're a big collector or just a few bottles that you're looking for, you know, the site has it or the consulting site has it and, and whatnot. So, All right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming in, yeah, stopping man. here on the way to Paris. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. So much fun, man. Great personality. Great stories. Thank you. An incredible journey. Um, everybody, it's your boy MJ. Until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the deep drinkers, the deep drinkers, the deep thinkers, and all us wine drinkers. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. 